You're listening to the Matthew Sermon Series at Sojourn Carlisle. In this series, we are following Jesus and learning what it means to take on His yoke. We are pressing into His promise of true life. Good morning, Sojourn Church Carlisle. My name is Nick Wirens. I serve as the associate pastor here at Carlisle. Um, today, we're, we're starting back in our sermon series in Matthew that we've been journeying through for a while. Um, if you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles, uh, we're going to be looking at Matthew 16, verses 13 through 18 today. As you turn there, I, I want to kind of catch us up to where we've been, the, the chapters that we've missed uh, in, in chapter 15 and a little bit of 16. Where we're at now is Jesus is transitioning his ministry from a ministry focused on the Israelites and is now expanding to fulfill his global mission of becoming the king of people from all nations, from every tribe, tongue, and nation. So today, as we look at at Matthew 16, uh, 13 through 18, uh, I want to invite you to look at this new declaration, this this new statement that Jesus has for us, pronouncing him, uh, really one of his disciples, pronouncing him as king. So let's look together at Matthew 16, starting in verse 13. If you have a Bible, follow along with me. If not, the verses will be on the screen. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But you, he asked them, Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus responded, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this great truth that we see today in Scripture. That through Simon Peter, one of the leaders of the disciples, we see this grand confession. That you are the Messiah, you are the Son of the living God. And it's on this truth, Jesus, that you are building your church. I pray that this morning, Jesus, you will be honored and glorified that nothing else will get in our way, but only you will be exalted. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So today, as we look at this passage, what we're going to do is we're going to look at three questions. The first question we look at today is, who do the people say that the Son of Man is? So Jesus is now up in this city called Caesarea Philippi. It's about 25 miles north of Jerusalem. It was a city first given to Herod the Great by the Roman Emperor Caesar Augustus. And then Herod the Great gave it to his son. And to honor both Caesar and himself, uh, Philip renamed the city to be called Caesarea Philippi. And it's important to note that this was a, a city of religious pluralism. It housed temples for the Syrian god of Baal, for the Greek god Pan, and the Roman godhead of Caesar himself. One scholar notes, he says, it's as if Jesus deliberately set himself against the background of the world's religions 
in all their history and splendor and demanded to be compared with them. And this place, it doesn't just have religious significance, it has geographic significance as well. We need to note that it's actually up on the very, very, very northern border of Israel. And this is a key point in understanding not only this text, but also the rest of Matthew. Because effectively, what we're seeing is Jesus is starting his kingdom right now on the very border of Israel and the world. In doing so, Jesus is redefining who the people of God are. No longer are the people of God defined by their geographic location or their heritage or what they look like. The people of God are formed around who they know Jesus to be. So Jesus starts in, he asks the question to see what folks around are thinking about him. He says this to his disciples. He says, who do people say that the Son of Man is? This title, Son of Man, that Jesus uses for himself, it sounds a little strange on our ears. Even if you've been in the church for a long time, it doesn't necessarily carry the same weight that it would for an early Jewish hearer. But this title, Son of Man, Jesus was fond of using himself. It was a title that came from the prophet Daniel, who who wrote the book of Daniel. And he wrote about the Son of Man some 600 years prior to Jesus' birth. In Daniel's vision, the Son of Man comes to the Ancient of Days, to God himself. But he comes from the clouds, from heaven, not from earth. This means he's not merely a human. The Son of Man is given lordship and authority over the earth, something, something that only a divine person can receive. So when Jesus asks this, he he asks a little bit of a loaded question, but the the disciples are kind of catching on. They they understand that Jesus, when when he is asking them about the Son of Man, he is really asking about himself. They say, some say you're John the Baptist. John the Baptist, he came preaching a message of repentance. This Um, These people, maybe the world, sensed that Jesus was a man of righteousness. And and perhaps they thought um, that he was just like John the Baptist because he came preaching repentance. Some say he was like Elijah. These people must have sensed Jesus' greatness. To the Jews, Elijah was one of the greatest prophets. He was the goat of prophets, if you will. And he was one of the greatest teachers of all time. And one whom they expected to essentially reincarnate himself. Still others said that Jesus was like Jeremiah. Jeremiah was known as, as the weeping prophet. His, his prophetic word carried with it many tears and much grief. He was greatly burdened for Israel and the state of its sinfulness. And people obviously saw Jesus and looked at his tears, at his passion, his burden for God's people, and thought perhaps this is Jeremiah who's come back to Israel again. Still others said that he was like one of the prophets. So these folks, they don't specifically have an opinion about who Jesus is, but they they thought or knew that something was different about him. So Jesus has the scoop now. He's got an idea of of what kind of the hot gossip is, of, of what his Twitter feed is saying about him. And then he makes the question more personal for his disciples. He, he's got his followers around him, this ragtag group of students, and he asks them, he says, who do you guys, who do y'all say that I am? Look at verse 15 with me. It says, but you, plural, y'all, he asked them, who do y'all say 
that I am. Now, it is easy for us to miss this, but the question is directed towards the whole group. It's not just directed towards Peter. So Jesus is is saying to his disciples, who do you guys think that I am? Who do you say that I am? But Peter, he's kind of become the de facto leader of the group, the the spokesman, if you will. So he answers for the group. In verse 16, uh, he says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Now, this title Messiah that that Peter uses uh, is weighty. And sometimes we, we just don't, we don't sense the gravitas of it, the weight of it, the, the oomph behind this declaration. This title Messiah, it means anointed one, which for Israel, it meant God's king. This is what Matthew has been emphasizing all throughout his book. He's been trying to point out that Jesus is king. When Simon Peter says, you are the Messiah, he's saying, Jesus, you are the ultimate one. You are the one we've been waiting for. You are God's final king. To put it in our vernacular today, in our um, term of phrase, Peter is saying, Jesus, you, you are the answer. You're, you're the point of it all. You're the last word. You are the meaning. You are it. So Peter submitted his final answer on, on the test. And here's what his teacher Jesus says to him in verse 17. He says, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. Peter's confession was life-altering. The Son of Man, the King of Kings, tells him that this simple confession has led to his blessing. And this isn't like being hashtag blessed because you got your stimulus check in. This is eternal blessing. This is blessing that won't pass away, that won't perish. And I love what what Jesus says here. He says, you're blessed not because you're smart, Peter, not because you've become the de facto leader of my disciples, not because you're a good guy or you've worked hard for your righteousness. No, he says, you are blessed, Peter, because my Father in heaven revealed this truth to you. Few verses, frankly, teach us as clearly as this one, that faith in Christ is a gift from God. God the Father not only gives the gift of his Son, he sends the gift of faith in his Son as well. Both Christ and faith in Christ are God's gifts. Though it's said very clearly in this verse, we do see it elsewhere in Scripture. In in John 1, 12 through 13, we we read, um, But to all who did receive him, Jesus, he gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. Or another well-known passage, Ephesians 2 says, for you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast. The entire reality of being declared a part of God's kingdom, it starts and ends with God. Like Jesus says to Peter, flesh and blood don't reveal the truth that Jesus is king to you. It's God the Father who reveals this to you. Now, it's interesting to think about this story and where it falls in the life of Jesus and in his time with the disciples. 
He, he's been with these guys for a while now, maybe uh, one or two years. And this is the first time that he's actually made them straight to his face, answer this question about who he is. And we'll see next week that even though they, they have the right answer, they say the right thing, they, they still don't fully understand yet. But that's true of us too. None of us have, have been perfected in our faith, nor will we ever be on this side of heaven. So because of that, the question that Jesus poses to his disciples is one that I believe he is asking you to consider. Jesus is asking you, who do you say that I am? Now, in this unique situation where we're uh, gathering online, frankly, I have no idea who's watching. But I imagine that amongst all the people that are viewing this video, there's a wide range of perspectives on Jesus. Maybe some of you just see Jesus as, as kind of like a folklore hero. He's a little more uh, than a, he's little more than a fictional character, or that's at least how you relate to him. He's maybe more Paul Bunyan than, than Teddy Roosevelt. He's more fictional than historical. He's more of a character on a page than a man who actually walked the earth. And even if, if he was a real historic person, there, there's no way he did all those miracles, right? They're just like those old fishing stories that uh, grow as time goes on, as they're told more and more. But Jesus isn't merely a fictional character. He's a historically verified person. And even more, his miracles aren't fairy tales. Scripture speaks abundantly about his miracles. And if you think those are biased, that's fine. Opponents of Jesus outside of Scripture actually testified of his miracles. The Jewish Talmud, which was kind of the book of the law, still is the book of the law for the Jews. They charged that Jesus practiced magic. He was obviously doing something. The Greek philosopher Kelsus said the same thing. And he was a strong opponent of Jesus. Then the famed Jewish historian Josephus, he reported that Jesus was a doer of wonderful works. Jesus is, is more than just a folklore hero or an urban legend. Still, others of you may, may see Jesus as, as simply a good teacher. Maybe you like Jesus' teaching, but you certainly don't affirm his claim to be God. You're on board with his message of love and justice. You think his overall message is good and, and probably worth um, considering. But ultimately, he's, he's no different than any other person. He's just like Gandhi or Confucius or, or Oprah, if you will. It's the message itself that, that's good and not the man. Now, if that's your, your belief, I, I just ask, like, what are you to do with Jesus' claims of divinity? He clearly believed that he was God. And if he claims to be God, but you disbelieve that claim to be true, how can you classify him as anything else than a, a kind of crazy kooky person? And if you have these claims side by side and you think one is true and you say one is not, it's good teaching how can you really trust this to be good or true if it's coming from the mouth of a man who's crazy? Famous author C.S. Lewis, he famously quipped, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic, 
on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. C.S. Lewis is saying that Jesus didn't even give you the space to think that he is only a good and moral teacher. But he's more than just a good teacher. Still others of you, maybe that you say Jesus is a God. Yeah, I recognize his divinity, but it stands amongst the pantheon of gods around me. And in this day and time, this you-do-you mentality that many of us have, uh, it's not surprising, right? People look at your life and your claims, and they say, hey, that's good for you, but it's not good for me. Many of us treat Jesus in the same way. He's just a God. If you want to worship him, good for you. But he's not a God for me. Oprah Winfrey, she uh, jumps in on this. She says, one of the biggest mistakes humans make is to believe that there's only one way. Actually, there are many diverse paths leading to what you call God. Or the famous dad, Homer Simpson, he exclaimed one time, I'm going to die. Jesus, Allah, Buddha, I love you all. The Bible does affirm that there are multiple gods. But not all gods are the one true God as revealed in Scripture. They're all lesser gods. So who, do, who does the Bible say that the one true God is? Exodus 34, 6 through 7 gives us a great picture of it, of who God is. It says, The Lord, the Lord is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. This loving God that we see all throughout the Old Testament then becomes a man in the person of Jesus Christ. He enters into the mess of our sin, of our suffering, of our humanity. Here's what Colossians 1 says about Jesus. It says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or power, powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, in Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. If you're watching this video at all, it's by no coincidence. 
I think right now Jesus is asking you, who do you say that I am? This is a question of great significance and a a question that every single person must deal with. Whether you've been a Christian for decades or you're not one at all, the question still remains, who do you say Jesus is? Romans 10, it says, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess faith and are saved. If you're watching this video and you're wrestling with this question that Jesus has put before you, I urge you to join Peter in his confession. That passage in Romans that we just read, it says that if you confess with your mouth and even more importantly, if you believe in your heart, if from the inside out you are changed because of this reality that Jesus is king, then you will be saved. Oh, what treasures and life await you if you proclaim that. What joy and hope you'll experience if you surrender to the one true king, Jesus Christ. Church, for us, we need to see in verse 18 that Jesus says, it is upon this rock that I will build my church. It is on this truth that Jesus is king that we are being built up. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Let's pray. I'm James A.P. Fields, Jr., lead pastor at Sojourn Church Carlisle. Thanks for listening. We're a church that is rooted in the community of South Louisville, and we are seeking to advance the gospel of Christ in South Louisville and beyond. For more sermons, info about our church, and ways you can support our ministry, visit sojournchurch.com backslash Carlisle, C-A-R-L-I-S-L-E. God bless.